Jessica Ivins is an accomplished UX researcher with extensive industry experience. As the lead UX researcher at the Predictive Index, she has spoken at numerous conferences, appeared on many podcasts, and published dozens of blog posts. She also led various UX communities, including meetups and book clubs, in multiple cities across the United States. Her insights on the field of UX research come from a place of deep wisdom and care. I'm sure you'll be deeply grateful to her after listening to this episode. I am your host, Sweekriti, and this is India's first user research podcast, Core User to UX. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I've had great conversations with you in our introduction call. And for the first time, you know, usually it's like I have to pull things out from my guests. But for the first time, you were so keen to share things with me. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. I like to be prepared. So it all worked out. (laughs) So Jessica, there are a lot of things we can talk about. However, I want to limit our conversation to the art and the trajectory of being a user researcher, right? There are so many things happening in the world of user researcher, but the career path is something that remains constant. It's like it's the only static thing in this dynamic world right now. Even that changes. It's not like it's the same formula everywhere, but there are certain principles that rarely change, right? And your experience will help us or someone like me who has, you know, not that much of an experience in user research. Your experience will help us understand those principles. And there is a really great anecdote that you shared with me that mostly you have been a team of one in your career. So what has that been like? Because I do not want to ask a specific question regarding that. Because even the statement like team of one has so many stories and so much information associated with it. So the stage is yours. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I'm currently a senior UX researcher, uh, or excuse me, I'm actually a lead UX researcher at the Predictive Index. And I've been a team of one for about two years now. And You know, in some ways it's really challenging and in some ways it's great. And the great things about it are, you know, I get to drive everything. I get to make a lot of the decisions. You know, I get input on the decisions, but ultimately I get to make a lot of decisions. Uh, I have a lot of influence. So there are certainly benefits to it. Some of the challenges around it are, you know, as a team of one, I, I can only juggle so much, right? I can't take on the work of two people, three people, four people, et cetera. So some of the things that I've learned to do are, number one, fiercely prioritize what I work on. And I lean on my colleagues for that, for a lot of input. Um, I also tap into my professional network. So I've done a really good job of building up a network of people who I have relationships with, who have research expertise, research ops expertise, or just years of industry expertise, even if it's not necessarily research expertise. So I lean on them pretty heavily for their input, for their opinions, for their ideas, since I don't have a research team to lean on uh, directly where I work. Hmm. And your statement that I fiercely prioritize, that was my key takeaway here. 
because actually when you are a team of one that is your only uh, not only but one of your main weapons there so thank you for bringing that up and this is important because user research or ux research is being recognized in india surely very recently right so there are going to be situations where someone will find themselves as being a team of one and i mean ideally there should be two to three but you know it all starts from one right so your experience is really going to help you hmm so one thing that really pops up in my head or this question that pops up in my head is that how do you pitch your ideas or the kind of resources you need as a one person team and with respect to relationships with your stakeholders or colleagues how does all of this fit in right i mean it's really i am facing this challenge it's really hard for me to pitch things or pitch ideas as one person in my team so what is your take what has your experience taught you yeah i i love this question because it's something that it's a skill that i've really had to hone and the short answer is that i i lean on my colleagues to really help me prioritize work so you know it's always good to prioritize what you work on because as a researcher or as any practitioner you want to make sure that your work is bringing benefit to the business right so i look at business priorities that said uh, i don't have a team so i can't take on multiple priorities at once i can only because i'm doing all the research and all the research ops work i really have to i can only really take on one project at once so i lean on my my stakeholders i'll talk with my manager um so i'll give you an example so for the most recent project that i decided i'm going to work on for uh right now it's uh september so we're in quarterly planning for q4 of this year and i worked with my manager and a few other stakeholders to identify what i was going to focus on because i i was paying close attention to what the business priorities were for q4 and next year and there were multiple priorities so i i basically narrowed it down to a list from everything that i could glean from uh attending meetings uh being tuned into what the business was talking about what what the future plans were and then i went to my boss and a few other stakeholders and i said here are my ideas and all of those ideas aligned there were three different areas basically for me to focus on uh but i couldn't take on all three so that's when i leaned on my manager and uh a vp and also a director of product management and they all basically pointed me in the same direction so we were able to narrow down my focus for the next quarter so that's that's really been instrumental for me so you know i do my best to do my due diligence to try to find areas where you know even on a spotting up spotting opportunities so i don't really wait for people to come to me sometimes that happens people will come to me and say hey there's this big project coming down the pipeline we'd love you to work on it but i try to be really proactive and look for opportunities you know for example okay there's this big initiative coming up and see how research could help with x in that initiative and that's kind of how i make my list and then i work with my stakeholders to prioritize and that's how i make sure i'm bringing the most value to the business number 1 so that the business gets value from research which is why i'm there um and number 2 because it really supports my career goals and making sure that i'm doing really critical work to the business which is fulfilling and giving me the experience that i want to have in my career that was really insightful and there are a lot of questions and insights you know just running in my head one of them being that you know 
whenever a researcher does a good job at any company they are not just doing it for themselves but for the entire community i mean once you develop someone's confidence in user research there is no going back right and it's like an upliftment for the entire community so thank you to user researchers like you <laughs> building confidence and why i'm pointing that out because business is a great part of it it's not just about validating designs or you know generative research for the sake of it inculcating business in every aspect and i cannot stress enough on it although i've already talked about this in my previous episodes but i think the more the better so another question that was in my head was that the hardest part about having a roadmap is sticking to it right there are so many things happening so much energy all around that there will be something impromptu that will pop up and when you are a team of one person it's like being the pilot of the airplane without a co-pilot so it's much harder so i mean how do you navigate such situations how does your prioritization technique change because you know roadmap had this thing but there is some kind of energy building up and there are new ideas coming up and they are gaining attention they are gaining priority so like what is your take or management in those situations yeah that's a great question so a couple things there uh so i keep a close eye on the company roadmap uh and as you may know roadmaps tend to change because plans change like we think 6 months from now we're going to work on x a few months later we decide that's not the focus we're going to do something else or we're going to work on x but we're just going to shift the approach that we're taking so it's it, things are constantly shifting and what i try to do is pay close attention to the roadmap and also keep a log so what i do is uh, sometimes i even put this into my own personal ux roadmap uh sometimes i just keep keep it as a list but what i do is i keep a list of research opportunities that i spot so i i'm almost like the research opportunity spotter part of the time so uh, i am informed on a lot of company initiatives a lot of projects that are happening things that are happening with certain products and i'll even say to myself oh there's this is a great opportunity for research and i'll even tell the team and i'll just make a note of it right so i keep a running list and i'm always you know evaluating that list thinking through it and comparing it to the roadmap and again that comes back to really making sure that what i'm working on aligns with the business priorities for example i just led a research project on our website so our website is the top of the funnel for our products right so if you think about a sales funnel or a customer journey uh you know the customer discovers the product early on considers buying it and eventually buys it and the website is a big part of that the early stage of that journey our website has to uh meet people where they're at uh the messaging needs to align with people it has to help move move people who want to buy our products through the product sales funnel so i just wrapped up a big research project on the website and before that i had the website kept coming up as a contender if you will on my list right i was doing research more downstream in the product funnel and it was just well while we were getting answers those answers just started to open up a lot of questions like okay well what's happening before people even sign up for our free product or what's happening before people even buy our product what's happening early on that might be affecting their experience downstream i kept noticing that and i kept talking with stakeholders about it i would update my manager on it i would talk with product managers about it i would talk with sales about it 
And it just kept bubbling up as an area that needed research. And then finally, the business decided that they were going to dedicate a whole quarter to what they were calling new business. So basically optimizing the website, uh, making sure that our marketing efforts were getting the right people and that our messaging was aligning with people. And so that was my opportunity to run a project. And I just wrapped the project up and we gathered so many great insights and found so many opportunities to improve the website that the team is moving forward with making improvements already and making big plans to address our website. So I'm really, really excited about that. So again, it's me doing something that I find valuable that also aligns with the business. And that's kind of my way, if that makes sense, of tracking things. So if something keeps bubbling up to the top as a contender, chances are I'm going to get to it pretty soon with research. And that's how I keep track of everything and align potential projects with what the business needs. Wow, that's a really proactive approach because here research is what led to the roadmap change in some ways as well because you were seeing that pattern and you were pitching it. So yeah, that is a great scenario to be in actually. Thank you for sharing that. And this thing of you know research opportunity spotter how I think this will help is that people will actively share their ideas with you or else, you know, as a researcher, you always have to keep probing and keep digging. Okay, what is happening? What is not happening? What should be there? But if you already have such a thing and you're constantly talking about it, then people will automatically come to you and share their ideas. So that's a great idea there. Thank you so much for sharing that. See, that is why you know this podcast is here so that i keep getting great ideas <laughs> no no i'm just kidding so thank you for sharing that is it okay if i add something to that if i may um part of that approach was really educating my stakeholders on where i could help so for example i'd be attending a meeting where we would be learning about data on a product and how well a product was performing and i would say in the meeting I would say this is a great opportunity for research. Research could shed some more light on this and this is how it could do it. And I'll make a note of it and I'll add it to my list, right? And I would just say things like that all the time. Or sometimes I would go into more detail, right? So I was always planting the seed in the minds of my stakeholders of how research could, could help. And also by involving more stakeholders in research, they started to see how the process worked, uh, what the benefits were. And that was one of the ways I was able to get on everybody's radar and then I've been seeing this shift lately where instead of me proposing research projects and selling them or, you know, um, selling the benefits, if you will, uh, I'm starting to see more stakeholders, even VPs, VP levels, um, folks uh, coming to me saying, hey, can you help with this? We have this big initiative, right? So that's been a really awesome shift to see where it's not only making my job easier because they're starting to come to me for the right reasons, but it's elevating research maturity at the organization. So it's been really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, that planting that research seed, that is really important. Even I don't realize, but sometimes subconsciously I have planted that seed and then the benefits of that are reaped much later. Something I said or did three or six months ago are now beneficial. That's how it is, you know, and being a user researcher, you know, that is how things play in humans' mind. So thank you so much for sharing that anecdote. Great that you brought it up because my next question was going to be around relationship building only. That, you know, team of one and building relations with your <coughs> colleagues and your stakeholders. How does that trajectory 
factory look like? What has your approach been? Yeah, so uh, a couple things there. So I, I learned quite a while back in my career that the more collaborative I am as a professional, uh, the better outcomes I'll get for my own work and for the team and for the business. So when I started two years ago, I started working really collaboratively with the team. Now, when I started, I was brand new. I didn't know the domain very well. I didn't know the products very well. I didn't know the people very well. And folks just expected me to do usability testing all the time, which is not where I wanted to be in my career. But I knew that I had to, I had to start out by meeting people where they were at and, you know, kind of move things forward from there. So I was doing a lot of usability testing on one of our flagship products. And what I did was I built a good relationship with the product manager and the designer. And I got to know them. Uh, they got to know how I worked. And I involved them heavily in my process. And they had a lot of interest in the research because they wanted the product features to succeed. So I invited them to contribute to the research plan. I invited them to contribute to the interview guide slash script. I invited them to sessions. I had them observe. I had them attend debriefs after the sessions. And so by doing that, I was able to involve them and build a relationship with them, but also just get them enough exposure to the research data and the research sessions themselves so that they had all the information they needed rather than just me running off and doing research and, and showing them a report or you know giving a presentation or anything like that. So that was how I built relationships with them. And what I started doing after that was kind of expanding the circle. So instead of just the product manager and the designer, I started inviting uh, content designers. And then I started inviting other product managers, right? product marketing managers and they were becoming involved again it was a help because i had other people's input and opinions and whatnot you know even on the research plan and whatnot but they were also observing and attending debriefs and so they were finding it really fascinating i don't know about you but the thing that turned me on to ux years and years ago was sitting in on a usability test i started my career as a front-end developer and this was years ago before ux was a big thing i didn't even know what ux was i was a front-end developer working for traffic.com and we were building these, redesigning these flows constantly for people to set up, you know, their commutes so they could look at the traffic in the morning. This is before Google took over, you know, with maps and traffic and everything. So anyway, I didn't know what UX was. And then my company hired a third party UX firm to do usability testing. And I sat in on a usability test. And for the first time ever, I saw a usability test and I saw a participant struggling to use the design that I had built. And I was blown away. And that was a watershed moment for me because that led me into UX. And that type of exposure really does blow people's minds. So it wasn't just with me, you know, maybe that was how you got into UX, um, maybe, or maybe some of your listeners, that's how they got into it. But it really does make a difference. So by having people observe, that was huge. You know, they, they found it fascinating. They were able to learn insights faster because they were seeing them firsthand. And they started telling other stakeholders. I remember at one point, the uh, director of content design came to me and said, hey, uh, one of my direct reports has been observing for you uh, uh, sessions and I've heard great things and I want to observe too. And I said, yeah, sure, because she was on my list of people to invite anyway. So it just started kind of snowballing. And, and I worked my way out and out and out. If you think about it, like radiating from the core, like starting with that product manager and that, and that product designer radiating out and out and out and involving more people to the point where so many people across the product department, across marketing, across sales 
Uh, they know what research is, they know the benefits, they have a deeper understanding of our users from attending those sessions. And that's how I've been able to lean on my colleagues and collaborate and make my process inclusive. And it's a win-win for everybody. It makes my job easier, it's very fulfilling, it helps my team and it helps the business. Wow, that is a great story, especially how you got into user research and that radiating theory. It's like having a compounding effect, right? You start with one person, but the impact keeps compounding with more people you add. It's not just about adding two or three people. It's about adding two or three people, but having impact on an entire team. So that is a really great strategy there. You know, the benefits of it are exponential. So thank you for sharing that. That was really insightful. Now getting to something that is very personal to user researchers. And because you can never ignore something like that. That is just being aware of your own career trajectory and uh, setting yourself up for success, right? Because companies change companies come and go for example your first company google came over and then everything changed forever right so um in this dynamic world where even the nature of user research is changing with ai and everything how does one set themselves for a stable and successful career in user research like how does that investment in in one's career happen yeah, I love this question. I love all these questions. These are awesome. Um, so I would say the two big things that I do that I found to be really beneficial are number one, uh, build and maintain my professional network. And number two, make small regular investments in preparing my portfolio and resume materials for whenever I need to look for a job. So I'll start with number one, um, building and maintaining my, my professional network. I've been in the field for quite a while and I've had the privilege of doing things like, you know, first of all, having great career opportunities. So having great jobs, uh, I've had a, I'm very thankful for the career I've had. Also, you know, being on podcasts like this, uh, before I had my daughter, I was speaking at conferences, like before COVID happened and before I had my daughter, I uh, have written blogs, you know, so I've gotten a lot of exposure and through that, I've been able to meet a lot of wonderful people in the field. And I've made a concerted effort to maintain those relationships, whether it's just liking something that they post on LinkedIn, or they write an article that I think is really informative. So I share it on LinkedIn and I comment and I mention them and I say, hey, you know, thanks for this article. It's been really helpful for me uh, sharing it here with everybody else, uh, things like that, or even just reaching out to them and seeing how they're doing. Uh, because number one, I, I care, you know, I care about the great work that they're doing and I want to see how they are uh, as people. And number two, it really benefits my career to uh, keep that network warm. And so they, those folks remember me, uh, they know what I'm doing right now in my career, they know I'm a researcher. And if I ever need help, like, for example, if I ever want somebody to make a, a LinkedIn introduction. Like if I have to look for work, heaven forbid I lose my job and I have to look for work, I can tap into my network for help. Maybe someone I know is connected to a hiring manager and I want to apply to a job that the hiring manager is actively looking to fill. I could ask them to make an introduction or you know something along those lines. It's kind of like the sky is the limit. The more people you know, the better off uh, your career is. So that's been a worthwhile investment of my time. And it doesn't really take a lot of time to do that, to maintain your network. It could just be, I used to have 
um, I should probably do this again, but I used to have to do's on my calendar where it was like once a week, I would send an email or a message to somebody asking them how they're doing or recognizing something. Maybe they got a new job, like congratulating them on their new job. I just saw it on LinkedIn. Uh, congratulations. How are you doing? That kind of thing. And it doesn't take a lot of time. So that's the first big thing I do. The second big thing I do is I track all of my work, my project work, and I keep records of it so that I have raw material to use for my resume and portfolio. So that way, whenever I need to look for a job again, I'm not in a situation where I'm scrambling, right? I'm in a situation where I'm ready. I have all the raw materials to, ready to go. And all I have to do is create the, the finished artifacts that I send off in my job application. I actually wrote an article about this years ago in a list apart. I think the title is An Essential Tool for Capturing Your Career Accomplishments. But it's about a career management document. And it's basically a document that I update. I strive to update it once a week where I take notes about all the project work I've done that week. I take screenshots of any, you know, screenshots from usability tests or screenshots of research plans, screenshots of, you know, screeners I've used for recruiting. Or I even I'll even take pictures. Like if I did a sketch of something to help me in my in my process, I'll take a picture with my phone of that sketch. And I also I just so I just maintain all of these notes and artifacts so that when the time comes, I'm ready to put together a resume or portfolio. I'll also even write resume bullets. I strive to do that every week too. Um, I'll just look at the things I accomplished, write a few resume bullets, and put them in in a long list of resume bullets. And that way, when it's time to build a resume, I can take a look at the. So I customize each resume. I haven't applied to jobs in a long time, but when I do, I look at the job description and I create a custom resume, which is a, a really good way of you know having a resume that resonates with with the hiring manager and the recruiter. So I'll take a look at the job description, take a look at my list of resume bullets, and I'll just pull them in and I'll build a resume. And it's just a really fast and easy way to build a resume. Same thing with my portfolio too. I keep really detailed notes. Uh, again, so I was talking a little bit earlier about the uh, research project that I did on the website. I even took screenshots of the website. Like this is how it looked. And this is, uh, you know, and I try to think through, okay, it's a lot easier to take a screenshot of the website itself that we did a usability test on than it is to take a screenshot of the Zoom session where we did a research because then I have to redact the participant's photo and their name, which I can do, right? Because um, they participants, we, we have them consent to allow us to do that, to put material in our portfolio as long as we cover up personally identifiable information. But, you know, it's just easier to grab a screenshot of the website. So these are all the things that I think through. And it's so important. I see it as being so important to my career that I schedule a half an hour on my calendar every week to do it. And I call it um, basically CMD for career management document. And I make sure that it gets done. And if I'm having a really busy week and I don't get to it, that does happen sometimes. I'll get to it the next week. And that way it's only been two weeks. And the reason I do it so often, because a lot of people push back and say, well, why don't you just do it every month? Like once a week sounds like a lot of work. While it is, um, it's so much easier because all the work that I've done is so fresh in my mind and it's easy to find. Uh, the problem is if I wait a month trying to look back and remember everything I did that month and find all the things to take screenshots of and find all the things to take notes of, that's a lot of work. And it would actually end up taking me longer. And I would probably miss out on details because I don't know about you, but I have trouble remembering what I did a month ago, let alone two weeks ago, right? So I make it a priority. And this is how I prioritize investing in my career because number one, building and maintaining a network and number two, keeping a career management document. It doesn't take that much time, all things considered. 
And just to give you some insight, during the pandemic, I was a single mom. So my daughter was born in late 2019, and then March of 2020 hit, and everything, you know, went haywire. So I was home alone with my daughter. I was trying to work from home. It was a really stressful time. So I wasn't going to have the time to build a portfolio, even if I wanted to look for work or whatever. I just didn't have that bandwidth. But I could make bandwidth to keep my network warm and to update my career management document. And there there were times where I didn't get to it for two or three weeks, but I made it a priority because I knew that it was so important so that later on when I was ready to look for work, I would have those materials available. Wow, I'm really amazed and also ashamed at the same point of time because I am those people who scramble everything in the end and uh, hearing your story, see the same thing, right? You feel so overwhelmed and you keep procrastinating and when the situation hits, then you are like, okay, I did this. Oh, did I do this? Um, And you don't remember the details. So that is actually a great approach and thank you for making me reflect on my approach. I will surely experiment with this, you know, because it's true. When things are fresh in your mind, you keep track of the most important of insights, even the smallest of nuances that can be a game changer, which you might forget, you know, months down the line. So thank you so much for sharing that. I don't think a lot of people do that. It's just a hypothesis. But thank you for bringing that up. That is a really helpful story and anecdote. Yeah, you're welcome. And something you said just reminded me that, you know, one of the main reasons I I do that, like I invest the time in my career management document is because I know that, you know, if I were to get fired or laid off or heaven forbid, you know, I mean, it happens, but, you know, that's a really emotionally um, turbulent time, right? I was laid off once years ago and it was not fun, right? So I was having to deal with all the trauma of being laid off and figuring out what am I going to do, blah, 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 blah. And on top of that, I had to come up with portfolio materials and a resume. So it was just extra layers of stress. Whereas I know now, like heaven forbid, if I got laid off tomorrow, like I would be in a pretty good spot, right? Because I know that I've I've been keeping detailed records of um, what I need for my portfolio and whatnot. And I would be in a much better place uh, than I would have if I hadn't done anything. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, Jessica, because things are not always hunky-dory and it's a hard to swallow pill, especially with what we have seen recently, right? I don't think the people we think are on our side aren't really on our side. So that is something that we should accept. And thank you for sharing your story. Now, you know, it puts things in perspective and why one should do it. And the best way to learn is from other people's experiences. So thank you for sharing that. Sure thing. Yeah, it's been a game changer for me. And, uh, you know, and I think none of us is untouchable, right? Like, I've seen great people get laid off. I've seen great people get fired, right? You know, the way I see it is like, I do everything I can. Like, like what I was just explaining earlier in this interview, I do everything I can to make myself valuable to the business and to... Uh, you know, support my team and to be collaborative with my team, you know, I can do all the things quote unquote, right. And then if it's time to do a layoff, I might get laid off. Right. So it's just the, it's just the reality of, um, you know, just being prepared for whatever life throws at you. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for sharing that.
it has been a lovely conversation jessica from being a one person army to <laughs> being layoff prepared uh, thank you so much it was an amazing insightful conversation you're very welcome thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it awesome thank you so much bye bye